blessing it's been to uh, be here. Of course, our arrival into the airport was at classic, apparently, arrival time, uh, midnight or so. And Pastor McGovern picked us up there. We want to thank you for that. I know that's not <laughs> the most convenient time to get to the airport. We appreciate that very much. And the use of the vehicle. Also want to thank uh, Daniel and Sharon for the use of your home. That's been beautiful. And uh, stocked with everything we needed, plus Kaladi coffee beans with a grinder there for some fresh coffee. Our mornings have been blessed of the Lord. Maybe that's an overstatement, but they've been blessed uh, but with that. But I appreciate you opening your home. And it's very, uh, very comfortable, and I, I really do um, appreciate that. And the meals, this afternoon's meal, uh, also the meal with uh, Pastor and Mrs. Uh, McGovern yesterday. We, we appreciate that very much. And just the ability to fellowship with many of you. It's always a blessing. We enjoy that. And uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here. Really kind of counter privilege to have met many of you at the family camp uh, several years ago. And just having the time during the day uh, to uh, meet you. And then, whew, those evening meals. We just... We just found out who we were eating with next, and we, that was, wow. I, I don't know how you could eat better at a restaurant than we ate at the evening meals at family camp uh, there uh, at his servants, but that was great, and uh, we, we appreciate that. And certainly pray for you all, and uh, thankful for uh, this church and for um, your faithfulness uh, to the Lord. Um, just want to share a thing or two as well about uh, Myanmar here. Then we'll look at Luke chapter 24 in just a few minutes. Um, one thing that uh, Jennifer and I are grateful for is <clears throat> that uh, during the time that we'll be working on the Burmese language, uh, that we don't have to only do, be doing that. Uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to work in the Christian school that's there as well, part-time, um, while we're in language studies. But also, uh, for this, um, about six months ago, a uh, pastor uh, that has spent some time in Myanmar with some of the nationals uh, was able to lead a Burmese monk to the Lord. And it took some time, and it was a lot of explanation, but the Holy Spirit worked, and uh, this monk got saved, turned from idols to the true and living God. And the Lord laid it on the heart of this pastor to write a, it's more than a, it's more than a track, we call it a gospel booklet, uh, 16 pages, um, describing uh, how that Jesus Christ is the way to true enlightenment. And from the Buddhist perspective, that's, it's an effective way to describe salvation. Jesus is the one true light uh, and the one and only way to heaven. We mentioned, uh, I think maybe in the video, that uh, in general, the Burmese people are by default generally friendly and uh, friendly people, definitely in a difficult time, but friendly. When, when salvation is talked about, and it comes down to the point of there is just one way to heaven, 
that's when the decision time comes for them. And that comes in conflict with the Buddhism that uh, they've been taught and just is really a part of so much of their culture. And so this pastor wrote this, call it the gospel booklet, called The, the True Enlightenment. And uh, then uh, a, a national pastor in Burma took this and translated it into Burmese. They were able to find a printer in the city of Yangon that will print these and has already printed many for seven cents a copy. And also, he's willing and has printed extra and stores them at his print shop so they can warehouse them and use them as needed. Uh, Several hundred thousand of these in Burmese have already been distributed, and we're grateful that we have this tool to use uh, while we're just learning the language, but we can smile and uh, give a greeting, a mingalaba, and uh, offer them this gospel booklet that is a thorough explanation of salvation. We're bringing these with us in English uh, to various churches, and uh, we have a stack of them there in the back. And we just met, like to mention that if you know of someone, maybe it's a, I don't know, a family member, coworker, friend, that uh, might be following an Eastern religion, Buddhism, Newism, something like that, uh, I just want to encourage you, you're welcome to take as many of these as you would like, and it's just a very thorough explanation, uh, really from general revelation uh, that nature declares to us, all the way down to special revelation, the scriptures, and then the Savior, Jesus Christ himself. So we have many of these back there, you're welcome to take them, use them, uh, Often it's a good explanation, again, for someone that may be following um, what we would say an Eastern religion, uh, or others as well. Uh, We uh, are grateful that there's um, a track um, ministry in Illinois, Bible Tracks, that's printing these and printing them in mass. And so we have lots and lots at our house, and we can always get more. So I'd like to mention that. And uh, again, they're back on the table. We've got some back there. We've got more in our... Uh, in our uh, uh, underneath the display that we can get to uh, as well. We um, got a phone call um, several, well, several months ago uh, from my wife's uncle. And when he'd heard we'd been to Myanmar, come back, and what the Lord had laid on our heart to do, he called us one day. We're driving down the road, and uh, he's in his mid-80s. He lives in Roanoke, Virginia, and he said, uh, Dan, Jennifer, tell me, about, tell me about Myanmar. He was very vague about that, so we didn't know, had no idea what angle he was getting at. So we explained how the Lord had led, and it took a while to do that. Um, he was very quiet, and then uh, we heard him weeping. And then he told us his side of the story. He said that in his church there in Roanoke, Virginia, 
was a man who had come over from Myanmar during one of the more difficult times and um, had, before he came over, had put together a prayer guide, not just for the country of Myanmar, but in particular for the city of Yangon, which is divided up into 40 different, we would say, sections. 40 different sections. It's a, it's a, of course, a large city, 8 million people. And in those 40 different sections, he would talk with my wife's uncle once a week about what was going on, if anything, as far as uh, evangelism and evangelistic church in those different sections of the town. And they would pray through those different parts of the city. And they would pray for, like Matthew 9 tells us to do, laborers. For not just the country of Myanmar, but for the city of Yangon there in the country. And I'll never forget when, when he said, I never in a million years would have dreamed that one of my nieces would be going to this city on the other side of the world about a place they'd never talked about before, but he'd been praying about for two years, once a week, with this Burmese man that the Lord would send forth laborers. Every once in a while, the Lord will do something really, really, really special that uh, defies uh, human explanation, and we're thankful for him uh, for that. There is a massive need here and abroad, and we know that. But I don't think there's any better way to deal with that need than the way that the Lord gave us, and that is to pray for laborers. And by doing that, we bring God into the equation, and He can then do with the people, His people, as He sees fit in His harvest field. And so we're grateful for the opportunity, the privilege uh, to go to a place that has a rich missions history. One of our books on our back table is called Baptist in Burma. It's written many, many, many years ago. Um, and we're grateful for that history. We're convicted and inspired by that history. But it is 2023, and we continue to pray for laborers. We continue to want to be open and willing, surrendered, as the Lord would lead any of us to wherever he wants us to go to. There's, a, I think, sometimes a misunderstanding about who a missionary needs to be and, and what type of a person. Now, certainly there's things in Scripture that we follow, guidelines uh, and qualifications and such. However, um, one of my favorite assessments to come out from reading about missionaries just to Burma itself is the different types of men and women that God used. Adoniram Judson, the first missionary, would be classified more as the studious type, the Bible translator, the man that could reason with uh, others uh, and bring people to a knowledge of Christ, but uh, really 
good at the difficult work of Bible translation. But God brought over to join him a man that was his polar opposite. His name was Eugenio Kincaid. And Kincaid wasn't into Bible translation. That's not how he was, maybe we would say, gifted. What he was gifted at was absolute fearless courage in the face of the worst situations. And he knew that up north in Burma, it continued up north, there became an area that was less inhabited and rugged and dangerous. Just the type of place that drew Eugenio Kincaid to it. And so he got on the Irrawaddy River and went north and then went into the mountains. And the story of what he endured up there is more interesting than any adventure story you could ever want to read. And God used him to reach uncivilized tribes. And numerous times he was within inches of losing his life. They finally captured him and put him in a circle and said, we're going to kill you and do whatever else uh, here in a few days. But in the meantime, you're going to stay here. And through a great miracle, he escaped. The guards, the tribal chiefs, the braves chased him down to the riverbank. He worked his way hundreds of miles through the most amazingly difficult circumstances to get back to a mission station and then back down the river and had quite a story to tell when he got back down there, much to the chagrin or dismay of his wife who was worried for him this whole time, apparently with good reason. My point in sharing that is this. God can use people that are studious God can use people whose number one trait is using their hands in courage and strength. God has gifted each one differently. Don't say, I'm not this, therefore God can't use me in this way. Be open to the Lord. Eugenio Kincaid came back to America with Judson on the one furlough that he took in 38 years. Along the way, back to that furlough, they got partway back, and Judson's second wife, Sarah Hall Boardman, Judson, passed away, and they buried her on the Isle of St. Helena. He got back to New York City, and he was greeted like a celebrity. But he knew in his mind he was no celebrity. He went and spoke before the gathered group of Baptist uh, churches represented there for the Baptist Mission Board at that time. His voice was so quiet and worn down from the pulmonary disease that he and many other missionaries endured diseased lungs in that climate that he could barely speak above a whisper. And so beside him at that missions convention stood his fearless, courageous friend, Eugenio Kincaid. And Judson would whisper his words to Kincaid, who would then 
bellow them out to the congregation. They'd gather together there to figure out what missions, movements, and areas they could cut from their budget because the money had dwindled and they were going to have to cut some mission stations out and some plans for further missions work, including getting into the western part of Burma. After those people saw Adoniram Judson standing up there and realized what he had gone through in realizing, hearing him say through Kincaid, if we can't raise the money for a mission station in western Burma, I will go there myself. They took a vote about the giving. You can imagine what happened. The giving not only didn't decrease or stay the same, it dramatically increased. And so the testimonies of these men are challenging to us. When Judson first crossed from India to Burma, he crossed a body of water called the Bay of Bengal. And in that body of water, they buried at sea, he and Anne, their first child that was stillborn that time. Thirty-eight years later, interestingly enough, Judson would get on a short sea voyage in a last-ditch effort to save his own health. And he himself would pass away in the Bay of Bengal and be buried in that same body of water as his first son. When Judson got to Burma, there were he was the first U.S. missionary sent to the field. When he died 38 years later, 276 missionaries had been sent from America. I was with a missions... Uh, uh, conference last week and a man that uh, works with a mission agency, he said his best estimate right now <clears throat> worldwide is about 4,000 missionaries, we would say, of our stripe, of our uh, doctrine and practice, 4,000 worldwide. That's quite a bit down from even before covid and, and much down from even back 20 years ago. If we take that number uh, of 4,000 and consider um, some of the countries in just Southeast Asia, and we took all of those missionaries and put them in the country, let's say, of Vietnam, Population today, about 97 million people. That would be one missionary for every 24,000 people in Vietnam. That's if all of the foreign missionaries just went to that one country. But we know that's not possible and that's not the case. One for every 24,000 people that would be a life's work. We were blessed, my wife and I, to have a bus route, for same bus route for about 25 years there in Indiana. And the town that we were in was a town of 25,000 people. 
And we know how big that town was and how, in some ways, um, insufficient we felt at just trying to reach that town. And across America, there's towns with no independent Baptist churches. Certainly, from independent Baptists here in Anchorage, there's an understanding of unreached people with a desire to reach them through the remote Alaska missions ministry. But we take that and we look worldwide at the needs, and it is, in one sense, overwhelming. And the fields are white to harvest. And the population is growing. When Judson arrived in Burma, there were about 4 million people. Today, there's about 55 million people. And, and, and the, 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 laborers, the laborers are few. And so pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. And in praying, he will use us in some way in some way, for his work, both here and around the world. How that is, is up to him. He's the Lord of the harvest. How important is it that we simply say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What part in this harvest do you want me to do? If we would look there at Luke chapter 24, the Lord is preparing to ascend back to heaven. And he shares some final directives with his disciples. In verse 46, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Thus, thus it is written. The phrase, it is written, is one of the promises in Scripture of the preservation of God's words for us. It is, present tense, interestingly enough, written, we would understand or think that of as past tense. So what we have here is Scripture that was given and that stands true today and on until the end of time. It is Written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You ever think about that phrase right there that Jesus said, beginning at Jerusalem? When did he say that? He said that after Jerusalem had just rejected him. He said that after Jerusalem, as a whole, said crucify him. After Jerusalem had turned their back on him and rejected him as their savior, much less, certainly not, as their king. And he, with the nail-scarred hands, really at the at the... Uh, at the request, the demand of the Jews, with those nail-scarred hands, said, Preach remission 
repentance and remission of sins, yes, among all nations, but start back here at those that have actually already heard. Every once in a while I hear someone say, America's had their chance. The Lord could have said that about Jerusalem here. He could have said they had their chance. So skip Jerusalem and go to a place a little further out or a place that's far, far away. But that's not what he said. And that's not what he said in Acts 1-8 either. He said, start at Jerusalem. Go to the place that's already heard and go back there again because God is a God of mercy. God is a God of forgiveness. God wants people to hear the message even if they've already heard it. In Jerusalem, later, we will find there were people that wanted to respond to the gospel. Where was the sermon preached on the day of Pentecost? It's preached in Jerusalem. But what happened on that day? God came down and empowered that message. And many, yes, people were from out of town, but many in Jerusalem yet were saved. We see people in the book of Acts from Jerusalem that were saved. Don't get discouraged in your Jerusalem. Don't get discouraged in Anchorage. I need not get discouraged in Chesterton or in LaPorte, Indiana. That's where the Lord has most of us here. And the Bible says, beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send, verse 49, the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. This evening I'll just share briefly this message. Bend these stiff knees. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for Independent Baptist Church, Lord. We're thankful for, Lord, their love for reaching their area. Lord, the love for reaching the flock here. As Lord, well, as, uh, as, as missions nearby in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, missions around the world. We ask God now as we consider your word and see the pattern that you've given for us. Help us, Lord, to do what sometimes is the most difficult part of evangelism. And that is starting by bending our knees, waiting for your power, seeking your face on our knees, praying the Lord of the harvest. Lord, I pray you'd work in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord commands them to tarry or to wait. Turns out, for them, that was ten days. They waited after the Lord ascended in a room in Jerusalem for ten days. And on that tenth day, the day of Pentecost, Peter got up to preach. And certainly there was a great move of the Holy Spirit evident at that time. Missionary Mary Slesser said this, Prayer is the greatest power that God has put into our hands for service. But praying is harder than doing. At least I have found that to be so. 
That's from a missionary who we think of exhibited God's power and God did great things through. She recognized, I think what, I know I recognized, and maybe many here recognize, praying is often harder than doing because we have to wait. And prayer is faith because we don't go out and manufacture a result right away. We put our trust and our faith in God to work. In the book Mountain Rain, it tells of James Frazier who went to the remote villages where the Lisu people lived in far northern Myanmar and southern China. And he went there as a single man. And he was a single man there for 20 years. And he went up and down those mountainsides, living in the most primitive conditions that you could imagine. But he was able to keep correspondence back with several people, 10, I believe it was, back at his home church in England. And those 10 people, several of which were ladies that were up in years, who knew they couldn't go to the Lisu people, uh, an uncivilized, again, tribe that really had no religion to speak of other than appeasing spirits. But they promised James Frazier that they would pray for him and they would pray earnestly. In that book, Mountain Rain describes what God did through not just James Frazier, though he did reduce their language to a written script and uh, also worked in the Bible translation effort, but saw hundreds and hundreds eventually of Lisu people come to the Lord. He wanted to quit many times. He faced disease. He faced loneliness. But God allowed him to see a great breakthrough among that people group. You can read about him. and You can read about the Lisu people today. In his mid-40s, the Lord gave him a wife who was willing to go to that area of the world and happily serve alongside of him. And he died again in our estimation, rather young. But he talks about the fact that his ministry was nothing without the specific fervent prayer of those ten people that were back home praying for him and for laborers in the Lord's work. One man said all of our failures are prayer failures. Sometimes, too often... My knees get stiff. They don't want to bend. They don't want to bend in prayer because it's, frankly, too easier to do than to pray. The Lord said in Luke 24:49, after he gave this exciting, adventurous command about Jerusalem and beyond with the gospel, he said, but... Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. It's worth asking ourselves what crowds out our prayer time. It's worth just asking ourselves that kind of regularly. Why? So, so we can just be honest with ourselves. Not so we can hang our head in defeat, but so we can say, Lord, help me to not allow that, whatever that is, to become a bigger priority in my life than prayer. 
than effectual, fervent prayer. Who can pray? Anyone can pray. Children can pray. Elderly can pray. Anyone can pray. Where can we pray? We can pray anytime, anywhere. The door to the throne of grace is always open. Lord is ever living to make intercession for us, but we can pray anytime. We can pray anywhere. The Bible here says to pray until you be, verse 49, endued with power. To endue has the idea of to be clothed with. And this clothing of power is not some power that we generate or we fake or we manufacture or we through some charismatic movement create this big emotional uh, circumstance that comes and goes as fast as it starts. Being endued with power from on high is simple. Praying in faith and believing and taking God at his word and surrendering our sometimes stubborn will to his desires for our life. When that happens, God can take a young man who may have a certain path laid out for his life and may be successful in that path and may be walking down that path. And that path might not be a bad thing, but God can take that surrendered spirit that comes from taking God at his word and and tarrying until God works and God moves. And then God can say, that's great, but I'm going to take that path that you've started down, I'm going to redirect you, and I'm going to give you a new purpose or a, a new purpose from what you had thought you were going to have, and that man, that woman, will know great joy by following the Lord's direction. By following the Lord's leading in prayer comes great joy and great satisfaction. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a blessing when the Lord stirs, stirs in our heart. I was talking with a young man who actually brought us to the airport on Friday, college, and we were just sharing about special passages in our lives, the Bible passages, and he had preached the night before in our church, our midweek service on Thursday night from uh, Romans chapter 12. And he preached uh, verses uh, 3 through, I think, 8. And then on into the next part of the chapter, one phrase in which says, uh, serving the Lord and fervent in spirit. So we went to breakfast and I shared with him how special Romans 12 was for me. Because as a junior in college at Christmas break, Christmas, there's the word again. Can't get away from that. I'm excited. These kids are giving Christmas testimonies, and I started to get in the Christmas spirit. I went home at Christmas break with two big decisions to make. One was um, <clears throat> about staying there and serving uh, at the place where the Lord had us for 30 years. But I had to decide about that. And the other was the fact that several months before, I met Jennifer, and I was like, 
Hmm. Hmm. Something different about this one. And so I had the decision to make there. And I remember the one evening, I just told the Lord, I'm going to take a steno pad, a pen, my Bible, go into the back room upstairs in our house, and just take a night with the Lord. And the Lord led me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, where the Lord talks about first, giving your body a living sacrifice. Two, turn away from the world. Three, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And then that the Lord has different people with different gifts in the rest of, uh, through verse 8. Not everybody does the same thing. But what God does want from everyone is to give our bodies a living sacrifice, to not be conformed to the world, to not be filled with pride. And then God will take that person and put him as he sees fit in his, in his work. And came out of that room the next morning with two answers to prayer. One was, I knew where I was supposed to uh, stay uh, there and serve uh, at our church. And the second, I knew I was supposed to hop to it and uh, not let anybody else uh, get her on any dates. Uh, so it was uh, full steam ahead, you know. So uh, my dad bought a 94 Mustang, brand new, five-speed. Not the big engine, but fast enough. And, well, it's pretty fun to, when you get that going and get it into fifth gear and mm, down the road you go. So I shifted into full steam ahead. And uh, I thank the Lord that he brought us together and that uh, it was the scripture that guided me and gave me that answer, the Lord. But we get on our knees. We carry in prayer. We seek for the Lord's power. And then, then we be witnesses. We be witnesses. One of the greatest smiles, I think, that we can have on our face is when the Lord uses us to bring someone either to Him or back to Him. That's more enjoyable than any type of sports or politics, all of which have its, has its place. I'm not against talking about that for too long. But the smile of peace that passes understanding comes when the Lord allows us to be used in His work. When we take a look just at Southeast Asia, which is the region of the world that Myanmar is at, we're kind of overwhelmed by the number of people and the needs that are there. In Indonesia... There are 273 million people, the capital of which, Jakarta, has 10.5 million people. Now, some of these countries we'll talk about are mainly Buddhist. Some of these countries that we talk about are mainly Islamic. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can easily kind of write off the Islamic country, because they're all our enemies, right? We remember what happened there on 9-11. And if we're not careful, we're not careful. We can just sort of check off an entire 
group of people that are on their way to hell because of what a small group did. The Lord didn't check off Jerusalem after what they'd done to him. The Philippines, 109 million people, Manila metro area, 13.5 million. Vietnam, I mentioned, 97 million people. The capital, Hanoi, 19.8 million people. Thailand, 70 million. Bangkok metro, 14.6 million people. Last May, Jennifer and I landed in Bangkok before we went to next country over to, to uh, Myanmar, and we, we met with the man who oversees all of the ACE Christian schools that are actually growing and expanding in Southeast Asia. But we had to take a ride across Bangkok to get to, we never left the city. I think that car ride might have took us 45 minutes. And we just, looking out the windows, we said to ourselves, there's, there's what looks like Chicago right there. And then we keep going and it looks like another Chicago and another Chicago. And I think we said to ourselves on that car ride, you could put 500 missionaries in Bangkok itself and they wouldn't overlap each other. And that's undoubtedly true and probably more than that. Just looking and seeing sheep with no shepherd. In Malaysia, 32 million people. Kuala Lumpur, 7.5 million country of Myanmar with its 55 million and its largest city of Yangon. As I mentioned, if you put Phoenix and L.A. together, you've got just that city. Cambodia, 17 million. No long-term gospel witness in Cambodia. For so many years, it was controlled. It was part of French Indochina, controlled by the French. So those Catholic outposts there. The gospel is relatively new to Cambodia, but in that country now, praise the Lord, there is a freedom for visas to get in there even as a missionary. Capital of Cambodia, Phnom Penh, with its 2.2 million people. Yes, a different culture. Yes, they do things different and they speak a different language. Laos, 7.2 million people in that socialist, communist country, yet a place where today a number of Christian schools are able to be started. And the capital there, Vientiane, 1 million people. Singapore, a city-state with 5.8 million That's just a brief walk through Southeast Asia alone. If someone was here going to Africa, they would want to share with us some of the countries in the continent of Africa and the size of them and the population and the unreached people. What do we do do about that? What do we do about that? I think it starts with being concerned about it. Letting what's going on in the world be 
kept under the, under the guise or interpreted in light of the lost souls that are all around us. A few weeks ago, uh, couple, sorry, a couple months ago, I took our Baptist history class from college there. I'd like to take them on a little um, field trip to Chicago. It's about an hour away. And uh, on this day, we just did a few stops of places that are notable in either Christian or Baptist history. One of the places, uh, not used for this now, one of the places we stopped and showed the class was a big uh, brick building, kind of a long building, sort of resembling a, a, a nice big apartment building. And in the early to mid-1900s, that was the Chicago Baptist Women's Missionary Home. And it's the place where single ladies would go to be taught and trained, prepared to go to mission fields, primarily out west to Indian tribes, Native American reservations, where they would teach women and children and share the gospel and teach in their schools. And we found a booklet that describes what went there, pictures of these single ladies smiling, sitting among a large group of Native American children for which those ladies were probably their only hope to hear the gospel. We showed them that place. We also stopped at a place on beautiful Lakeshore Drive overlooking Lake Michigan, right across from what's now called the Oak Street Beach. Some of the most expensive, beautiful real estate in all of Chicago. And we point out an area where there used to be two mansions. One was a mansion uh, owned by uh, a couple. One was a Rockefeller. The other was a Roosevelt. They had married and they had a mansion right beside the Borden family. And the Borden family was, this family was, uh, Dad Borden had made a small fortune in the mines in Colorado and ran his operation from Chicago. But his wife loved the Lord and took her children regularly to the church that R.A. Torrey pastored. And one of her little boys, also named William, stood in line one day, just like the kids, many of the children did here this evening to give a testimony, but he stood in line one day to shake his pastor's hand, R.A. Torrey, and as just a six-year-old boy, he just wanted to tell his pastor this, I'm surrendering to whatever God wants me to be. Well, he grew up extremely wealthy in probably the most wealthy neighborhood in Chicago, had the best education you could possibly imagine, spent his last couple years at a wealthy boarding school, and then went to Yale for his college years. At Yale, he was 
an outstanding athlete. He was on the rugby team, the rowing team, the football team. But more than that, he wanted to start a Bible study and see how many of his classmates from his class that he could get coming to that Bible study. And of the 1,300 in his class, by the time he finished, 1,000 were coming to Bible studies that he, that he had coordinated. So wealthy, before he went to college, his dad gave him a whole year to travel around the world with a good friend who was actually a professor at a Bible college. And so this 17-year-old William Borden went from Japan all the way through Europe into England and back to the United States. He saw it all. He was an athlete. He was strong. He spent part of his time on this trip climbing mountains in Switzerland. I mean, if there was an adventure, he did it. But after that trip around the world, the 17-year-old young man came back and said this to his dad. Dad, when we were in China, I saw there a group of people, about 15 million 15 million Muslims. And no one is taking the gospel to them. That's what God wants me to do. And as dad said, A, you're crazy. B, if you do that, understand you're not in my will. You're doing that all on your own. William Borden went to Yale, went to a seminary, and never once lost his determination, his focus to do that. He knew that he needed to probably set up some things before he got married, rather than bring his wife through some of the difficulties that he was going to have to go through in his mind. And so his first stop was going to be to live in Cairo, Egypt, and learn Arabic, so he could reach these Chinese Muslims. He got down to Cairo, and his goal was to get a gospel track in every door in every home in Cairo. His mom was so proud of him. His mom knew exactly what his decision had cost him. He never saw his dad again. His dad passed away. His mom wrote him regularly and said, William, I'm proud of you. You keep serving the Lord. No matter what the cost, you keep serving the Lord. He was in Cairo, Egypt. He'd begun his Arabic studies and he got sick. And then he got very sick. And they got a hold of his mom back in Chicago. And they said, you're going to have to make your way as quickly as you can to Cairo. William's very sick. She did. She got there as quickly as she could. But just before she arrived, William died of spinal meningitis at the age of 25. He was buried in an American cemetery in Cairo. His grave is still there today. Until just recently, it was in a back corner of the American cemetery. Actually turned the wrong way for anybody to even know it was there to be able to read it. She got there just after her son died. Word got back to the States about William Borden, who had forsaken 
the American dream at its finest in order to get to a place that he actually never got to. His story made the front page of newspapers around the country. And God happened to use that truth in his life to call many, many young people to go to the country of China and other places. And they considered this, Lord, if he could give up that much to serve you, maybe I should be willing to go as well. Not that we use people to, to, to decide God's will for our life, but it's hard not to think of the sacrifice of others that have gone on before and ask ourselves some, some good questions about our own lives. I got the privilege to coach our small, modest basketball team at uh, Fairhaven for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And the purpose of the team really wasn't to see how many. We wanted to win. We, we practiced. We, we did our best. We worked hard. But the purpose wasn't really basketball. Now, don't tell my guys that because they'll be like, wait a second. Hello. The purpose was this, to look at those guys and realize, and I told them this, you know, guys, someday, here's why I want you to be at practice. If it's a 6 a.m. practice, here's why I want you to be here at 6 a.m. Because someday, you're going to be the guy that has the keys to the church. And the doors to the church aren't going to be open unless you're the one that's here. And I want you to be here. I want you to learn this responsibility. And that's why I want you to be here on time. Why do I want you to give your best when you don't feel good? Because someday you're going to be a husband and you've got a family that's depending, upon, depending on you. And how you feel is not a part of the equation. There's responsibility that needs done. Just wanted to see these guys as future husbands, assistant pastors, pastors, missionaries, and get through to them what really matters in life. I think of men like William Borden, who was an excellent athlete at many, many things. But he kept that in its right place because serving God was the key main thing in his life. He waited for the Lord in prayer. He tarried in prayer. His knees were bent to God. Even though he could have used his money or his popularity and could have lived off of that, he didn't. He bent his knees, and God used him in a mighty, mighty way. Just how God used us. There was an army standing before a fort. How are we going to get into that fort? How are we going to break through? One guy said, look at that cannonball. Another guy said, look at the cannon. Another guy said, look at the gunpowder. Now the cannon's important, cannonball's important, the gunpowder's important, but those three things alone aren't going to break through into that fort. There has to be that spark. There has to be that fire that starts within, not that we manufacture, not some charismatic emotional experience, but something that we gain from tearing on our knees, bending our stiff knees before the almighty, all-powerful God 
who can then do with us as he sees fit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We're reminded, Lord, of your directive for world missions, which is to tarry till we be endued with power from on high. Lord, I pray that each of us this evening might take a long, hard look at our prayer life and ask ourselves if our knees have gotten stiff. They have, Lord, I pray that we would come back to you, go back to that time of prayer and remain there, bending our knees before you, asking you, Lord, what you would have for us to do in our life. We're all a part of your harvest, whether here or abroad. What is it, Lord, that you want us to do? Lord, for those that are in your harvest and serving you, fervently praise the Lord. Encourage them, Lord, to continue faithfully at that. Lord, if there's one here today that needs to get into that harvest work, needs to start with tearing in prayer, may they make that decision today too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Prayer changes things. You want your heart stirred, prayer. Uh, prayer is the key. You need deeds met, prayer is the key. You want that direction in your life, prayer is the key. And I'll tell you what, one thing that's helped drive that was the motivation, even behind some of the, 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 the true illustrations and stories he gave of people. That is what the Lord gets hold of your heart. That's what's going to drive you to, to your knees. Maybe just start that, Lord, please get a hold of my heart. Lord, to do whatever it is you'd have me to do, Lord, help me to follow you. It's easy. What I mean by that is this. It's easy also. We see a great big need. We'll throw prayers up. All of a sudden, you can't pay your mortgage. Well, we've got to pray. Again, it's almost like God is our genie in the bottle. It's just rare you find that people go, go to God because He's God. Because of who He is. Our Creator Savior, and just say, God, really, just whatever. Lord, please give me a heart for you. Give me a heart for your word. Lord, give me the want to want to pray. Lord, what do you want? I've said it many times. The key to your success as a Christian goes right to your prayer life. How's that been the last few weeks? last month, last year. He brought up a great point. I don't know if I've ever quite heard that. It's easier to do than to pray. Well, that's so often the case. We think we're doing something for God because we're doing. Even, but we're forgetting about God while we're doing it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, please, I'm not even certain that I'm truly converted. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Pastor, please pray for me. Would you just put your hand up for me tonight? Anybody here like that? I see some small children is all I'm seeing. All right. Christian, if the Lord worked on your heart tonight, I want you to come and pray. Father in heaven, bless his invitation. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.
Page 465. 465, if you need to come and pray, you come and pray.